Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Fortify Podcast, where our goal is to talk about all things that are hopefully fortifying to you and to your local community. Hey, 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 everyone. Thanks for joining us today. As usual, we're just going to get right into our topic today, and that is talking about COVID vaccination being added to the childhood immunization schedule, informed consent. We're going to cover Indiana vaccine injuries here, how you can access that information. And we're also going to talk about VAERS a little bit, what it is and informed consent. So today I'm joined by my friend Stephanie Ripple. Stephanie and I and other moms have been meeting and communicating sometimes sometimes several times a day for the last few years discussing all things COVID and COVID vaccines, pretty much constantly reviewing data and research and what's going on. And as some of you may know, I've been reporting on vaccine injury awareness for quite some time. Last week, I did the um, podcast on REACT19 and their work in trying to help the vaccine injured. The week before that, I sat down with Ashley Grog from Hoosiers for Medical Liberty to talk about the VAERS project, which we'll touch on a little bit. And actually, next week, I will also be um, sitting down with Ashley because we're going to talk about the Indiana's new, Governor Holcomb's new health commission. And so we'll, that'll be a week from today. But anyway, Stephanie has been keeping track of injuries and specifically here in Indiana. So I have asked her to come on and share her findings and how you can communicate this information to your elected officials and your local Department of Health. So welcome, Stephanie. Hello. Well, what I'd like to do is first review what happened last week. So if you want to just review what happened last week. Okay. Last week, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices voted unanimously 15 to 0 to add the COVID shot to the childhood immunization schedule beginning next year. The recommended schedule calls for children to begin getting the shot at six months of age. The immunization schedule itself doesn't impose requirements, but it does influence how states decide what vaccines are required for a child to attend school. So, you know, they'll say, oh, it's not mandated. It's not mandated until it is. I mean, until, well, you need to have this for school. And well, actually, no, you can't be on the team until this. And and it's sad because we've we've seen more than a few people who went and got their shot for, you know, to to continue on. And it didn't end well. And like I say, every single time. You, we are not here to tell you to get a vaccine or not to get a vaccine. You need to, you know, make that decision with your healthcare provider. We are just here to provide information. You, you can take it, you can leave it, whatever you'd like, but you know, we're just giving you information that you might not otherwise have heard. So what I think is interesting is um, Paul Offit, who, and I, and I played the clip couple weeks ago, who has always been the expert that, you know, the government goes to, oh, Paul, if it, he's considered the expert on vaccines. And he recently said, hell no. He said, I couldn't vote no. I would have voted hell no if I could to, to boosters. So I'm not sure. He was not on this panel. And um, I have no idea. But I just think it's interesting that this is not, I mean, it sounds like it's unanimous, 
But there are thousands upon thousands of doctors that disagree with this. Yes. And there was a huge uproar within the media saying, why are we doing this? So again, as a parent, be informed. All right. So we wanted to, should we talk about informed consent first or should we talk about the data first? Let's talk about informed consent. Okay. Um, I have a definition here that I pulled from the NIH website on informed consent. Okay, and and informed (laughs) consent is what everyone should receive before receiving any vaccination, any medical treatment. You know, usually you have to, anytime you go in for surgery or anything else, you you get this thing and here's everything that could potentially happen. And so that's what we're talking about here. Right. Okay, so their definition was um, the process in which a healthcare provider educates a patient about the risks, benefits, and alternatives of given procedures or interventions. The patient must be competent to make a voluntary decision about whether to undergo the procedure or intervention. Informed consent is both an ethical and legal obligation of medical practitioners in the U.S. and originates from the patient right to direct what happens to their body. Implicit in providing informed consent is an assessment of the patient's understanding, rendering an actual recommendation and documentation of the process. The Joint Commission requires documentation of all the elements of informed consent in a form, progress notes, or elsewhere in the record. The following are the required elements for documentation of the informed consent discussion. One, the nature of the procedure. Two, the risks and benefits of the procedure. Three, reasonable alternatives. Four, risks and benefits of alternatives. And five, assessment of the patient's understanding of elements one through four. It is the obligation of the provider to make it clear that the patient is participating in the decision-making process and avoid making the patient feel forced to agree with a provider. The provider must make a recommendation and provide their reasoning for said recommendation. Now, I couldn't find whether this is actually legally required for vaccination. Um, I thought it was. It definitely is in trials. Okay. I could not find if it if it is for for vaccinations, whether or not it is, it would be the right thing for a practitioner to do. Yeah, you're right. And uh, perhaps I can find the answer to that and put it in the show okay. notes. But yeah, so there was a lot of disagreement on what, what the risk-benefit ratio was for kids. I mean, a lot of people were, oh, get this, get this. But what was the real what was the real risk and benefit? And I want to just play, I'll put this video in the show notes, but I'm going to just play the audio and listen to this. This, These are parents who had their child vaccinated and you can decide if you think that they received informed consent. So let me get this to play. Here we go. Everest got the Pfizer blood clots in his brain. He actually had cerebral venous sinus thromboses on both sides of his vein, of his brain, as well as an internal jugular vein thrombosis. Pfizer shot. Within two days, she started having seizures again. She's gone from having tics, looked like she has Tourette's, um, Bell's palsy, wheelchair bound, and then all of a sudden, she was paralyzed. Within a matter of days, I was experiencing tremors in all four of my limbs. Two weeks after receiving her second dose of the Pfizer vaccine, she woke up paralyzed from the waist down. The night before, she had been experiencing uncontrollable tremors for over 30 minutes. 
We had no idea these types of side effects were even possible. Riley is my eight-year-old daughter, was vaccine injured this year. During that process, it started with a psychosis episode and blackouts and fainting. Uh, it progressed on further to her losing ability to feel her limbs. Um, she had ringing in her ears. Her fingers were tingly. Um, her veins, she would feel tingling in them. And over nine months since she got her second dose, she can't walk. She's in a wheelchair. She has an NG tube for all of her nutrition. She has constant pain in her stomach, back and neck. She can't feel her legs. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. My son did what was asked of him. He got the vaccine to play hockey. And now my boy is gone. To get the Pfizer vaccine, my buddy called me, <laughs> told me something was wrong with Junior. He just, all they could tell me was, he's dead. That's it. Two days after the shot, I was going to have a heart attack. You know, I was, the heart pain was worse than anything I could possibly Imagine. Got the COVID vaccine. And by Sunday morning, he was intubated and on life support. In the hospital, he ended up having myocarditis. You can't find help. Kind of makes you feel uh, hopeless. Kids, with all these side effects, why isn't something being done? So that was a very shortened version. I'll put the full version in the show notes. That was just, it was, I had to keep it under two minutes to post on social media. Um, but there's a, it's, there's actually a 12 minute video that's longer and shows even more issues. And I, I don't think people receive proper informed consent. Now, if you knew all these things and you still decided, okay, I still think it's worth it. Great. That's great. But I, we don't think that that's what's happening, and that's our concern now with with this going on the CDC schedule. And now um, Stephanie is going to share some reports that right here from Indiana. So you, there are sites that you can go to that you can look up data right from your state or from the country. There's actually in my very first post, like. Oh my gosh, almost two years ago now. I had I had sites that you could look at all over the world. And though they're still up, I mean, they've not I haven't updated them, but you could still click on those links. Um anyway, so Stephanie, if you could share a few of just some some that are happening here in Indiana. Yes. Um before I do that, I wanna share a couple other things about informed consent. I stopped by CVS Pharmacy down the street several months ago just to see what they were doing in terms of informed consent. And I walked up to the pharmacist and I said, um, can you show me a fact sheet about the Pfizer vaccine, like what the potential side effects are, what the benefits, risks are? And she just kind of cocked her head at me and she said, let me look. And she was tapping around on her computer for a few minutes. And she said, just one moment. And she walked back and grabbed another guy. And he came up and was tapping around on the computer. And it took them almost 10 minutes to find for me the fact sheet to print out. Um, and they sent me home with it. And I read through it. And it didn't list most of what I know to be the potential adverse reactions to that vaccine. Um, and wow. Yeah. Wow. So I found a place online where you can print it out. 
Um, so I did that. I got their most updated version, which was revised in August of this year. And it lists 21 potential side effects, most of them not serious. Oh, this reminds me. I just saw a report where what what's listed on the fact sheet and what's actually has been released from the tr- I'm going to talk about that. Oh, you yes. are. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes. So, so what is on what I was just talking to you about has 21 adverse reactions. They have added myo and pericarditis to that, mm-hmm. which I was happy to see. But yeah, in, happy and not happy, but yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, but so the the documents that were released um, from Pfizer by the FDA by the FDA, those documents that they wanted to not release fully until 2076, <laughs> and were ordered by a court to um, release them much quicker than that. That has eight pages of just side effect after side effect after side effect, 1,291. Oh my. Yes. Side effects that occurred in the <gasps> trials. Yes. None of this is on their fact sheet that you would receive if you were lucky enough to get a pharmacist who knew where and how to find it to give to you. But I don't think most wow. people, anyone I've asked who's gotten the shot, they have not received received true informed consent. I have not met a single person that it was just yeah. Yes, yeah. you know, talking about CVS a couple of weeks ago, I posted on somebody went into I think it was a Walgreens and said, "Hey, I've I've heard that this the the um, new variant hasn't been tested on humans. It's only tested on monkeys. Do you know if that's true or not? Or do you think that's fake news? And the pharmacist was like, oh, that's fake news. They, they have to test it on people. And in reality, it has not been tested on people. And that's what Paul Offit was reacting Correct. to. He said, I don't think it's fair to be giving this new variant to people when we haven't tested it on people. So, and I just don't think people know this. No. I just, they, don't, they don't know there's 1,200 whatever. You know, before we get into these injuries, I do want to briefly mention, okay, so where this data is coming from. So this this information yes. is coming from VAERS. And we want to make it perfectly clear. I, I think um, Ashley did such a great job with this two weeks ago because she started the VAERS project because VAERS is totally underutilized. It has, you know, what do they say that there was a, report, a Harvard report done, and she got into this specifically, like, you know, anywhere be only between 1% and 10% of adverse reactions. So VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse re, uh, adverse Event Reporting System. Yes. Okay. And it was, was developed around 1986. So prior to 1986, vaccine manufacturers were facing all kinds of civil tort liability suits because there were adverse reactions and they were getting sued and they went to the government and said, we're not going to do this anymore because we keep getting sued and the government felt let the vaccine and, you know, that it was important to keep vaccines going. And they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to indemnify you from liability. You, you are no longer liable. And that's when they started the keeping track of vaccine or they were supposed to start keeping yes. track of these reactions. So the purpose of VAERS, again, correlation does not mean causation. What VAERS picks is supposed to pick up is safety signals. So, okay, we've had 
200 of these. We've had 1,000 of these. We've had 10,000. I mean, there's over a million now, and I don't, I don't even know what the, I used to keep track of them every week, but it's just, oh, you have it right here. Look at that. Um, well, there's 1.4 million. And again, think if that's only 1% or if that's 10%. Right. And, and there, there's a variety of reasons why it doesn't get used. Number one is physicians can find it encumbering. And, and I'm going to link in, in the podcast notes, the podcast that I did with Ashley on the VARES report, because she goes into what it is or um, the VARES project, you know, why doctors can be hesitant to use it. Because I said, are they just hesitant to use it? Because they're like, oh, are they going to get in trouble if they say this or what? And if we can just say, no, you're just all you're doing. And it is law. It is a law that you are supposed to anything that could possibly, you know, oh, this happened, this happened. Doesn't mean that it was caused by it, but you have to report it, and they're not getting reported. Well, can I share some t- statistics yes. that I found? So there oh, was a yeah, large yeah, national yeah. survey that was done of healthcare providers here, and fifty-four point nine percent responded, and of those, only seventy-one percent had ever even heard of theirs. Thirty-seven percent had identified at least one adverse event following a vaccination in their practice. But only 17% indicated that they had actually reported to VAERS. Wow. That, you know what, that kind of lines up with Ashley's work on the VAERS project. And so the VAERS project, if you, whether you're a health care professional or just a lay person, it gives you so much good information on what to do. Yeah, well, let's see. Like, yeah, like 76% said, oh, yeah, um, I know about it, but they, they didn't, they couldn't identify, oh yeah, well, I don't know where to go to file that. There needs to be education on it. And that's, and that's what Ashley's all about. She's just like, because the more education that we have on this, the safer vaccines can be. Okay. So if we're picking, she talked about the rotavirus. It took them six years. What was it that she called it? Gastrointestinal. There was something, something like that. And it took them six years to figure out, uh uh-oh, there's a problem here. Six years. And that was all, you know, like a few hundred or a few thousand. I mean, we've got, we've got 1.4 million here and um, really good information there. The goal, if we are looking, if, if our goal is safety, then we should want to pick up every safety signal that there is and follow through on that. And that has been a, a great controversy. So, so when um, Stephanie's going to share, you know, some of these things that have happened, but it is, it is to pick up signals, and there are hundreds of thousands of signals now. So go ahead. Okay, all these children that I'm going to read to you about received the Pfizer shot because that was the first one that was made available to children. Oh, right, right. Um, so. I have a 16-year-old female who got the shot on uh, May 7th, and about 18 hours later, she began passing out, and this occurred nine times over 24 hours. She went to the hospital, had CT scan, MRI, two-hour EEG, and a 24-hour EEG, and they all came back normal. Which is really interesting because so many of the um, injuries, like that I talk about in React 19. I mean, these people are not functioning. Their yes. brain is on fire. They're shaking. You know, they're a cardiac off the church. And it's like, oh, everything's normal. Yeah. No, it's not. It's crazy. Yes. Okay. A 14-year-old female got the shot on June 6th. On June 11th, she was diagnosed 
and this is June 6th of 2021. And then five days later, she was diagnosed with appendicitis. Lots of, I know personally people who've had appendicitis and even have had to have their appendix removed after the shot. So this is a common thing they're finding. On June 6th, a 16-year-old male got the shot. That night, he developed a headache, nausea, chest pain. And then on June 12th, the chest pain became severe. He was rushed to the hospital. And the next day, he was diagnosed with myocarditis. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is, yes, this is happening a lot. in in young men especially, but I'll have another one on here I'm going to read that's a girl that it happened to. So, um Actually, it was a 15-year-old girl. She got the shot in June of last year. A couple days later, she developed shortness of breath and chest pain. She went to the ER and was diagnosed with pericarditis. And the thing that bothers me about the things that are being said about myocarditis and pericarditis is that, oh, it's just a mild case. But if you listen to cardiologists talk about this, there's no such thing as a mild case. This is permanent heart damage that can shorten the lifespan. Right. Another one of, let's see, a 16-year-old boy got the shot on April 7th. Ten days later, he noticed blurred, wavy vision in his right eye. He went to the doctor the next day. His vision was 2060, and a spot was discovered on the back of his retina. They determined he had inflammation in the back of his eye, and it was causing scar tissue to form. He was told that he would need surgery. He went and got a second opinion. The next doctor said the same thing. This is interesting because right after, um, you know, the shots started coming out and I was collecting data, this issues with vision and eye. I mean, people are like, hey, has this happened to anybody else? Has this happened to anybody else? And so, yes. Okay. Yeah. Another one, a 12-year-old girl received the shot in June of last year. She was admitted to the hospital about a month later with a headache, which initially started about 10 days after she got the shot. It was intermittent but kept progressing. She had left-sided weakness, brief episodes of passing out, altered mental status, hallucinations. She developed uncontrollable and involuntary facial and body movements. She had positive anti-NMDA antibodies and was ultimately diagnosed with anti-NMDA autoimmune encephalitis. Multiple drug interventions were attempted with no improvement at the time of this report on August 4th. So that is, you know, almost a couple months later, she was intubated with evidence of autonomic instability. She did not recognize her family members at that time. Oh my gosh, this sounds like, well, so uh, these other, a lot of these, you know, we don't know what the outcome is. So did she die? Did she make it through and recovered? We don't know. There's no way to know. And did they receive informed consent? And should this be on the childhood immunization schedule? Right. Hey, hey, be informed. Yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah. Okay. A few more I want to share. A 13-year-old girl had the shot on August 3rd. Um, On August 29th, she had full body movements, involuntary, I'm assuming, that settled into her right arm. These continuous tick-like movements prevent her from using her right arm and hand. She can't write for school or participate in golf. She's seen a neurologist, an orthopedic surgeon, and other doctors. 
And again, it didn't say anything further, but I'm assuming yeah. none of them are finding anything or able to help her because, because she's still not able to participate in normal activities. And so these poor people, as I've, you know, said before, and certainly through React 19, they go and it's like, oh, there must be, you must be crazy. Here, have some yes. antidepressants. I mean, that's what the adults have found. And, and then they don't get help because it's like, oh, you, you need to have mental health. Yes. Right. <sighs> Jeez. Yeah. Okay. A 17 year old female got the shot on um, sep- or July 14th. Since then, her periods have been 10 times as painful and as heavy as they've ever been. I've heard this before. Yeah. So this is another common one. There were lots of these, even among the teenagers that are having all kinds of menstrual irregularities. So I, re- I don't want to go too long in the podcast. We've, um, actually Stephanie has more here, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the link where you can find these. Um, I'm going to put that in the show notes. I also want to say I have a bunch here that I was going to read um, from, you know, 49 year old who was diagnosed with myocarditis, another one who had pericardial infusion. I mean, we, we are specifically here, we're dealing with the childhood immunization schedule, but there are plenty more here, um, you know, for all adults, I'm going to say that this information, again, I have shared most all of it with the Journal Gazette here in Fort Wayne. Um, They are, they have not responded. Um, They said I could write a letter to the editor, which I did, but they have not published it. (laughs) But um, at any rate, um, we, we as a group of moms, um, we continue to send out information to our legislators, to any journalists we know, to any, anywhere we can, we're trying to get this information out. And it is, I mean, there's documentary now coming out, document after documentary, there is so much information now coming out and it's worldwide it's not just here in america it's all over and um that's what people just need to be informed the other thing i want to i do want to kind of wrap up quickly but stephanie has letters that she's printed out that you that i'm going to put in the show notes there'll be a link and that um you can get these letters and you can send to your elected official to your county commissioners to your public health um whoever, it's just a kind of sample thing. And you could just send a letter with this podcast link or with the data because we'll have links to the data. So we need to get everybody informed so that everybody can make the decision that's right for them. Um, let's see, was there anything, was there anything else? I mean, we could probably talk for yes. another hour and a half. <laughs> you should see the stacks of paper in front of us. We've just got all these piles and, and, um, but we want to we want to respect um, your listening time here, and that you have other things to do, and and we can just put it in the show notes. So we will do that. Please mark your calendars for next week as well, because Ashley's going to be here, and she will be talking about Governor Holcomb's health commission um, that he did by executive order, and uh, we want to be careful because we know public health. You know, people. I'm sure have the best interest in mind, but oftentimes that comes with control and local health departments can lose their control if they take money for this or that or whatever. So we're going to be talking about all that next week. Uh, So we just thank you for listening in and just make sure you check out those show notes. 
you so much for joining us today. Be sure to check out the show notes for helpful links discussed in today's episode. Until next time, may you be a fortifier to the world around you.